about 40 years ago, Becky and I were married in blissful perfection. <laughs> Nothing could intrude on our wondrous life. Well, except for life, of course. <clears throat> Money, which had seemed terribly prosaic. Well, in the throes of that emotion popularly called falling in love, it began to take on a greater meaning, so I got a job. <laughs> I was spraying for bugs. And in Tulsa, you either spray for bugs or you resign yourself to living with them. In any event, there was this very wealthy customer whose house our company had serviced for years. But the one man who had executed this task for decades left the company and I was chosen to carry the torch. I had to have a drug test, had a background check, all that kind of to get into that place. But then, and even then, they scheduled all of us, you know, common workers <laughs> to days when, when the real people weren't there. Uh, anyway, once in the whole time I did this, I saw Doyle Cotton. He was talking on the phone. Once I saw his daughters and some friends, but I got to see the whole house when I was there. Every time, because every inch had to be sprayed for bugs. Uh, you have to understand, this is a place I'd wondered about for years. Well, about a year and a half I'd been down there. And every time I'd drive from my apartment to Becky's house, I'd travel through the richest residential area in Tulsa, and there was this area that was walled off, big walls, brick walls, one half mile square. Right in the middle of the big residential area in Tulsa. At first I saw it, I thought, wow, that's some kind of cool park or something. Because you kind of, here and there you could glimpse the trees through it. No, uh, there's a gated entry you had to go through to get to it. And I thought, well, it was a college or some kind of special school. No, uh, it wasn't that. There's no signs to tell you anything like that. So eventually, I get this account and I found out it belongs to some people and I'm pretty excited because I get to go spend the entire morning there working in this place. I was going to get a look into the life, or at least the house, of someone who today would be a billionaire. I was rich. Doyle Cotton's house. And it was amazing. One closet, closet, had, if you're an audiophile, you'd understand, a Marantz Model 19 tuner leaning up against the wall. To this day, the finest tuner ever made. And it was tossed in a closet along with a bunch of other expensive equipments were thousands, just tossed in the closet. And then the garage. Say so the garage had apartments, plural, off of it for the nanny and for the cook and for the head gardener. So one of the hallways of the garage, there was a Steinway baby grand piano laid, just stacked up on its side. A $40,000 piano just sitting there waiting for somebody to figure it's worth putting up on its legs. <sighs> and then I get to the garage proper. The first two stalls, <laughs> it was big, had each their own Rolls Royce. Not the nice Rolls Royce, because Mr. Cotton was out being carried around someplace in it. These were just extra vehicles because you just never know when you're going to need a Rolls to run down to the 7-Eleven, you know? <laughs> and I was surprised. I got to the master bedroom. Uh, it really wasn't a... It was larger than ours, of course, but it wasn't that much larger than ours. And I, that was kind of surprising, but there were these other two of the rooms off of it. And I couldn't figure out when I went into the first one what it was. Uh, it had a 20-foot ceilings and one entire wall was glass, the whole thing. And it had a stunning view out of it, of their pool with this 
cascading waterfall coming down, you know, right, just right there, right out the window. It was amazing. And then as I went along, I discovered there's these hidden curtains. You could push a button and they would completely close off the room in a cocoon of uh, privacy. Why? Well, it took me a while as I worked my way around. But I finally figured out that it was the master bathroom. The master bathroom. It was bigger than our whole apartment. And and I'm that's that's not even one of her closets off of there, because she had multiple. One of them was bigger than our whole apartment. And and I didn't even know this was a thing people did then. But actually that was just her bathroom. His bathroom was the other room. And it wasn't quite as big, but it was big too. You know, wow, this is how really rich people live. Are you kidding me? I had no idea. It was it was amazing, and it was great to get a glimpse into their day-to-day life. It's kind of amazing. But I want to tell you, they're just people. I'd like to take a glimpse today into another house, a spiritual house, a spiritual life. We have a chance to get a glimpse into something much bigger. Uh, Jesus gives us a tiny view into the life of the Trinity. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Wow, you can you kind of breathe that in for a moment. It's incredible. Uh, when I thought about it, I ended up with some questions. What is this truth that Jesus wants to say? This truth that the Spirit will guide the apostles into? Why, if the Spirit is God, just the same as the Father and the Son, why doesn't he speak on his own? But if he's not God, how can he know the future? I mean, these are conflicting statements, it feels like. Why does the Spirit glorify Jesus and not himself? And how did Jesus gain possession of all the Father has? I mean, wouldn't it automatically be his? And why? Oh, why therefore? Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit guides in all the truth. Maybe you'd better first see what this truth, this revelation is. What we're really saying is what is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And thus did John start this very gospel we're considering. Beautiful. In using the word, word, logos in Greek, John's doing more than uh, grabbing the attention of Greeks and Jews. He's making a statement about the nature of Jesus' first advent, the first time the Son came in human form to this earth. In truth, he's speaking of the nature of the person of the Son himself. The Word brought life and light to men, to people. His very existence is life and light. And the word, words, that he spoke somehow convey this truth to people. 
But how? Or maybe why? <laughs> no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Here John first states the startling truth of the Trinity. What it would have been to those ancient Jews, it would have been nearly shocking to them. You have God, and you have the only God who is at the Father's side. Uh, <laughs> so the Son is the only God, and He is at the Father's side. And we know that that means they are the same in nature. God fills all things. So, you, In fact, they have the same nature. They are the same. Well, if He's God then he has to have the same nature as the Father. God is one also. But John is also clearly showing that they are different in person. They are not the same person. They are transcendent, one from another, as the saying goes. And yet they are both God. Okay, (laughs) so the person of the Father and the person of the Son are one and the same God. But then we've got this truth that Jesus told the Jews. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Now, hold on. (laughs) Aren't they both God? And hold on again. This sounds familiar. The Son does nothing of his own accord. The Spirit does not speak on his own. Huh? And, of course, there's even more. Remember what we read at the beginning from chapter 16, that the Spirit will guide them in all truth, but not independently of the Son. The first point is this. Jesus declares the truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the one person of the Trinity who supplies the way for humans to live eternally with God the Father. But... Jesus clearly shows that he only says what the Father says. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. You know, you get pronouns. The pronouns are difficult. He. Who's the he that gives the Spirit without measure? Well, if you read around there, in that you get the context, you find out that it's God the Father. So because Jesus has the Spirit without measure... He speaks the Father's word. But in chapter 16, Jesus said the Spirit speaks His words. (laughs) I mean, are we confused yet? So let us sum up. The Spirit made it possible for Jesus to say what the Father willed. But the Spirit only speaks what Jesus said. (laughs) It's still not clear. And there's even more. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does... That the Son does likewise. So is the Son dependent on the Father? It could be this is just a statement about the Son and his human nature. Or is this maybe a statement about the nature of the Trinity? Do you not believe, Jesus said, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. The Father is in me and I am in the Father. To reverse the phrase, it is bidirectional. You see, it's about their nature, their one nature. 
The Father and the Son, though two persons, are one in nature. So, of course, they both share the same will. Now, at least in this creation, the will is centered on the Father, just as the Word is centered on the Son. Here's a fun fact. In philosophical or theological, theology is a subset of philosophy, in that those terms, this creation is termed the economy. This is an economy of time, of working. So the working of of God here would be the economic trinity. So that brings us to a question. Is it always true? Has it always been true? Will it always be true that the word is centered in the Son? Has the will of God eternally been centered on the Father? Uh, and we can say this another way. Why couldn't it just be just as easy to have been the Father who added a human nature to his person and came here to die for us? Why couldn't that be? And are even the terms, the names we use, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are they actually related to who they are as persons? Or is this just simply a convenient way to explain to us poor ignorant humans <laughs> something far beyond our comprehension? And the truth is, no one knows. We don't know. We don't know. But we do know that the relationship, the will, the working of the Father and the Son is bidirectional. So it isn't hard to see what Jesus is getting at with what we read to start this discussion. Let's, let's go ahead and read it once more. When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said to you, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is telling the apostles, actually this is tri-directional. <laughs> The Holy Spirit shares the same nature as the Son and the Father. And of course, their wills will be the same. This is why Jesus states that the Spirit has future knowledge, things that are to come, he said. It's a clear indication of his divinity. He has omniscience, which includes prescience, the ability to know the future. By the way, this is fun. God even has full middle knowledge. It's a term of, of theologians and philosophers. God knows everything that would be if. If you had turned left instead of right, God knows everything that would have happened in all the universe, to you and all people, everything. Just that one thing. And understand that he knows that, all of that, about every person, every place, everything, every event, everything. He knows every if and everywhere everything would go if that if happened. As well as everything that does happen and as well as everything that could have happened that... Wow! His knowledge is, is overwhelmingly vast. There's no other way to say it. Another important point, look at the first part of Jesus' statements called verse 13 in our Bibles. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. This places a restriction on new revelation. And you know, well, why is this important? Maybe only to me, because I grew up in a church where people would come up to me and say, the Spirit tells me that you should do whatever. And sometimes it really was you should buy the Ford, not the Chevy. I kid you not. They're telling me the Spirit of God told them. 
I should buy some car. Or don't go, go on a vacation here. The Spirit is leading me to tell you that you it's, it was silly, ridiculous stuff, but sometimes very serious things. So here's my question for anyone who says that kind of thing. Are you saying that the Spirit told you what to tell me just the same as he led John in what to say as he wrote the Gospel? <laughs> I've never had anyone with the effrontery to say, well, yes, I do. <laughs> I, although I've actually heard of people saying that, that they heard from God and it's the same as the Bible and you have to do what I say. Well, can, okay, for, can the Holy Spirit lead us in the right way to live? Yes, of course. We talked about it, I think it was just last week. He might indeed poke into our brains <laughs> and get us to get us to live right. That is possible. But it's much more likely that he'll use another memory of the family, the body of Christ, to lead us in the right way. That's much more likely. But will the Spirit give one of us the absolute authority of his word as he did those writing the Bible? No, absolutely not. He won't. That's not going to happen. If anyone tells you he did, run. <laughs> and yes, that includes the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness and all those groups. Nobody has the authority that they did back then because the Spirit worked with the apostles in one way and he works with us another. We're going to go back to John Calvin. He was a major player in the Reformation. He said this, For as soon as the Spirit is severed from Christ's word, the door is open to all sorts of craziness and imposters. So don't believe anyone who tells you you have to do what they say because the Spirit told them so. Uh, they're either crazy or they're an imposter. If it contradicts the Bible, the Spirit is not in it. Period. It's not God's word. But if it's extra to the Bible, you know, it's not in the Bible, but it's not really opposed to it, you're going to have to do your own work and find out if the Spirit is in it. Okay, fine. We'll now return to our previously scheduled sermon. Actually, kind of stick there for a second. We're, we're continuing, but stick there. Remember what, that Jesus makes continuous use of the Old Testament Scriptures, uh, which were breathed out by the Holy Spirit. In particular, he quoted the prophets extensively. They used the same word picture of telling of the future as is here claimed to the Spirit, and saw it always and only as God's domain. Isaiah is a great example as he records uh, the words of God. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. God knows the future, and no one else. More than 40 times, Isaiah directly quotes God like this. Here's another. Remember this. And stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Now, we might be pretty good at guessing what will happen. I'll bet you that we have goodies after church today. <laughs> Which will happen. Well, unless I'm wrong. <clears throat> you know, I have enough gas to get there. Well, in my case, electrons. <laughs> but the wind might blow against you, really. It might be a big storm come in and, and you got to fight. Maybe the engine, if you have one of those gas things, maybe it's running badly. You don't really know that you're going to get there. But God does. 
and he knows what happens if you don't get there, and he knows what happens if you don't try, and he knows what happens if you... (laughs) We can be wrong, but God is never wrong. We might make a pretty good guess at what will happen, but only God absolutely knows. And only if the Holy Spirit is God would Jesus assign to him this natural, for God, ability. So the Spirit is God, and yet the Holy Spirit is clearly a third person. The Son is clearly a separate person from the Father. And yet he also had future knowledge, so Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. When. Not if. When. But that still leaves us with the question of the Spirit's bringing glory to Jesus. The Spirit glorifies the Son. He doesn't promote his own works, even though his job is all the works that we do. That's all the Spirit's work. He doesn't. And it will surprise you not to find out that the same pattern is seen in the Son. We'll look at it in three steps. First, the principle. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Jesus said, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. That's clear enough. Here's the proof. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Uh, wait, the hour has come for the Son of Man. That's Jesus' favorite name for himself. Son of Man to be glorified. Then Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. By the way, the voice came, Jesus said, not for him, but for the people who heard it. They needed the assurance, not Jesus. So step three, here's our understanding. This is the night Jesus will be betrayed. The betrayer has gone out and Jesus says to the eleven with him who believe, using again his favorite name for himself, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. The New Testament writers, as one theologian put it, jealously guard the usage of the term God to always mean the Father. So it boils down to this. The Son so trusts the Father that he does not need to do anything for himself. He doesn't need to protect himself, doesn't need to glorify himself, none of that. He knows that the Father will do everything for him. He absolutely knows. So he has no need to care for himself. Why are the possessions of the Father also those of the Son? Because each person of the Trinity gives. Gives all they are and have, which is really the same thing with them, to the others. And, of course, that brings us to the therefore. All that the Father has is mine, therefore. I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has, possessions, knowledge, nature, whatever you can think of, everything belongs to the Son. What's this statement there for? (laughs) Why are these words given to us? Let's back up just a little bit in that evening. No longer, Jesus said, do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. 
but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Friends. Anybody want to guess how many people are called friends in the Old Testament? Two. Two. Total two. And one of the references isn't absolutely clear that it means he's his friend, just he deals with him like a friend. So Abraham, who was called a friend of God, and Moses, that God said he talked to as a friend, talks face to face. Two people in all the Old Testament were called friends of God. And now all believers are friends of God. <laughs> you know, wow! That ought to make you like cry in gratitude. I mean, except for men. Men don't cry, but you, maybe women can cry for us. Uh, <laughs> it's not like we deserve this. What's all this there for? Jesus gave us this peak inside the home of the Trinity because that's where our eternal home will be. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. I mean, are you excited yet? <laughs> he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. I love that they passed away. That's great. But the home of God. God the Father cares for the Spirit and the Son. The Son cares for the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit cares for the Son and the Father. And all three persons of the Trinity will care for us. <laughs> we will live in their home. Would you like to live where Doyle Cotton lived? I mean, if he was willing to make a straight trade, his place for yours, his money for yours, would you do it? You know, no tricks, no cheating. Real honest and straight. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Would that be okay? Yeah. <laughs> what if everybody could have a place like Doyle Cotton's? That's nothing. Nothing compared to the promise God has made to you. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. You will have God the Father as your personal Father. If you know the Son. If the Spirit lives in you. And we often... Think of the physical world as affecting the spiritual world. But the truth is, the spiritual plays out in the physical. It's not, not the other way around. The spiritual is that which is solid and real. This physical is ephemeral. It's going to go away. It's all going to be gone. Now, now it's true here. We have to think. We're, we're like Doe Cotton. The only reason he was a billionaire and I was spraying for bugs to make ends meet <laughs> was that he chose rich parents. Okay, I mean, yeah, he built up a business far beyond them, but, but he was just a guy like me. But God? Yeah. We can never be like the triune God. We can't. We don't have the nature. But we can live with him. How? God, in the person of the Son, did take on a nature like ours, become a real human being, 
And in that nature, he lived a perfect life, making it possible for our human nature to be made perfect. He gave up everything, even his life, and trusted the Father would take care of him. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Can we not give all we are and have to him and trust that he will care for us? It's not like we have that much. I mean, <laughs> and it's going to shock you. This will, this will really shock you to find out. You know, Bill Cotton never came to my place. Never came to my place. He never came in there and lived with me so that I could learn to live like him. Never did it. <laughs> but Jesus, he never even tried to speak his own mind, but he just always used the words of the Father. And can we be satisfied with his words alone? He never looked for praise, glory, for himself, but waited through some deep trials for the Father and the Spirit to bring him glory. Do we always have to seek our own glory? Is that a guy question? I don't know, maybe it is. Uh, could we not trust him to care for us also in this? I, can't he take better care of us than we can take care of ourselves? And can he not give us greater praise than we could give ourselves? It's a strange truth that while Jesus was man on earth, he was at that same time God in heaven. As my friend and professor, Dr. Jack Wilsey, said, while he was in human form dying on the cross, the Son was in divine form holding the fibers of the cross together. Wow. I mean, it's how can you not be in wonder at the glory, the amazement of all of this? Doesn't that make you want to follow him in every way you can? I'd like to give you one more picture of God the Son in human form. It's not mine. This description was inspired by the Holy Spirit and given to us through the Apostle Paul. Listen. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Why did Jesus give us this peek inside the life of the Trinity? So that we could be like him as he was in human form, so that we can be like he is now in human form. And all that we can absorb of who he is as a person is expressed in that human nature. We see the invisible attributes of God in him. And, and if you are his, you can say with me, it's so nice to be home. <laughs> I can't wait to get all the way home. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, 
Thank you for your words, which your Son gave us, and the Spirit has brought to us through the Apostles. Enough to know who you are. Well, in a little bitty way, (laughs) as much as we can, because we can see your Son. And in Him, all the parts of you that matter, the love that He has for us, the willingness to give everything up for us, to sacrifice His life for us. He died. As a human being, he died because we deserve death and he didn't want us to suffer through an eternal death. So he suffered all of our sin. Paul even says that you made him to be sin who knew no sin so that he could take the punishment for all that we've done. And every one of us knows good and well we need that. We need help. And you've supplied it through your son. And we've seen a picture of what, of what it's like for you and the son and the spirit to live together. You are close beyond any imagining that we have and you care for each other beyond anything we can understand. To the point where you don't even have to care for yourself. Son doesn't have to care for himself. Spirit doesn't have to care for himself. You care for each other and now you tell us that's how you're going to care for us. <laughs> I'm not sure how we care for you. I'm not sure what we can do for you. But whatever little tiny thing we can do, we want to do for you. Mostly today we want to say thank you. Thank you for this picture of our eternal home. A home that will be amazingly better than anything we could even begin to imagine here. But it's fun to think about And even now, we can feel that your Spirit is with us and that you are drawing us to you. We can be close to you because of the work of your Son and the work of the Spirit who works in us now. Thank you, Father. Help us to live worthy of what you've done for us and the care that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.